It's got a lighthouse and somebody's standing in it and there's waves crashing all around it. You know that like it's a motivational picture? I was just thinking of that song as we're worshiping that God is the lighthouse. He doesn't change. He is firm. He is strong. And even when things whip around in life and even though things change all throughout your life, you can look back and see how he's come through from time to time. And we can be grateful. And you may be in that storm right now, wherever you are, you may be in a great place. Let's be reminded that God doesn't change and his love stays the same. Amen, amen, and amen. So glad you're here, friends. Hey, um, uh, just while you're standing, while we have a moment, we're in fist bump flu season right now, or air five. If you like a shake of hand, if you're healthy, that's fine. But just say hello to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks, everybody. Oh, amen. Good morning, Hopevale. Good morning. Good morning. I'm, I'm Ken McGillivray. I'm associate senior pastor here at Hopevale. And we are so glad you're here this morning. If you're here for the first time visiting with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you and invite you to stop by the Welcome Center right in the center of our lobby. Uh, to receive a special gift and also get some more information about the church. We have uh, two ministry tools for you as you enter the auditorium. Connections is one. Our bulletin is another. Uh, Connections gives you a place to jot some notes. You might use the version tool for that as well. And it also gives you a few questions on the back to think a little more about the sermon and how it works out practically 
in your life. This is a tool that we use in our community groups. The other tool is our bulletin. It, it tells us what's happening today at Hope Vale. And then on the back, it shows you what's coming up. And for example, this week, it highlights our adult classes, which began last week, but you can still be part of. Child dedication, which is coming up. You can get more information about that. Or service opportunities for a mission trip to Dominican Republic and then in our, in our youth ministries. And so uh, check that out. These two tools are valuable to you. They're also online. And as I said, many of you know about the version tool that we use in the services as well. So I want to invite our ushers to come forward for our offering. This is a special time. Uh, we rightly say this is a time of worship for us. And whether you've given online or whether you're giving today, uh, this is, this is a, a time of worship for each of us. And, God encourages us in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 to make our giving planned and generous and joyful. Planned, generous, and joyful. So let's pray for that as we enter into this time of worship this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the opportunity for each of us to gather here this morning. We, we give you thanks. Thank you for the opportunity to praise your name, to lift up the name of Jesus to reaffirm in our own hearts the truths of Scripture to, to you, to ourselves, to one another. And Lord, thank you for this time to give. We pray that we'll give with generous hearts, with joyful hearts as we enter into this time of worship this morning. And we all ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Just remain seated for a few moments. We'll continue in worship together. Rachel's going to remind us that we're called to higher purposes. I could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence. And I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something
such an awesome opportunity to every day worship you and praise you. We thank you for being our constant. We thank you for your unfailing love. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. You see
Well, good morning. Great to have you here worshiping with us here at Hopefell. And want to give a special welcome to those of you in Bay City. We kicked things off last week, and it was a success, right? We had around 250 gathered for worship on our first soft launch Sunday. I think it was, you know, single-digit weather, so just phenomenal week two. Hope you came back in Bay City, and uh, just grateful for those of you who were part of making that happen. So uh, last week, we kicked off a series that we're going to continue today. The, The series is called Forging Change. Forging Change, it is about the real possibility for genuine, meaningful, and lasting change in our lives. Change that is for the better. Change that leads us to becoming the kind of people that God intends for us to be. Now, like I said last week, on our own, we are incapable of making that kind of change happen in our lives, right? We need to accept that. We can do modification, but only God can do transformation. Transformation, that's God's business. That is God's specialty. That's when the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ invade our hearts and we become brand new people, new creations in Christ, where we're taken from death to life, darkness to light. And when that happens, we are changed instantly, right? This is what it means to experience his grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So it's not something you work at trying to be good enough for God. No, it's a gift you receive humbly and gratefully, knowing that Jesus willingly gave up his life for you on the cross by taking on your judgment and dying in your place. May we never lose the wonder of such an amazing love. And so this kind of monumental and transformational change that I'm talking about, it starts right there, okay? It starts right there, and it has to, because anything short of that is just modification. And we know what modification is. Modification are these smaller, insignificant, incremental changes that don't really stick around in the long run. You know, transformational change has to start with us knowing Jesus personally, but that's just the beginning. Here's how I explained it last week, that there are these two Uh, very long, uh, lengthy terms that are used to describe God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And the words are these, justification and sanctification. And here's how I described it, that justification talks about that God transforms the kind of people we are, that we are changed because of Jesus. Sanctification, on the other hand, talks about what happens after that, that God improves the kind of fruit we bear that we are changing because of Jesus. So justification has to do with God transforming the kind of people we are. That to use Jesus's word picture from Luke chapter six that we looked at last Sunday, we go from being a bad tree with a bad heart that bears bad fruit to becoming the miraculous work of God in us from the inside out, becoming a good tree with a good heart that bears good fruits. And so Jesus says that we are changed instantaneously, miraculously, and that's where it all begins. Sanctification, on the other hand, though, has to do with God improving the kind of fruit we bear, The kind of fruit we bear, that is our outward actions, things like the way we think, the way we feel, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we treat others, the choices we make, right? Those are the parts of us that are still changing, still in process, still far from perfect. It's why we as Christians can still do selfish things, say hurtful words, make harmful choices, harbor vengeful feelings. And so even though Jesus makes us new kinds of trees, new kinds of people, right? We're still capable of producing some rather ugly and rotten fruit at times in our lives, right? All of us. So sanctification says that we are still changing. And the Apostle Paul describes it this way. We looked at this verse last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are, look at that, being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so do you feel this sense of movement, this sense of progress in this verse, right? That we are in the process 
of transformation, being transformed into the kind of people who increasingly are becoming more and more like our Lord. It is a progressive journey of inside-out change that the Holy Spirit brings about in our lives over time as we cooperate with his work in our lives. That's sanctification. And I shared all this with you last week because my hope was this, that we would all come away with a renewed belief that change is possible. Change is possible, that God is for our change, he is for our betterment, and that he went to the greatest lengths imaginable by giving up his only son to make sure that we wouldn't stay stuck, that we wouldn't feel trapped in hopelessness. That is the good news of change. It is the best news ever that because of Jesus, change is possible. And don't ever forget it, okay? That whatever you're up against in life, Jesus is even greater than that. That if he can conquer death, then he can surely empower you to overcome whatever is hindering your change and your growth. So change is possible. That is the good news of change, but. But, and I need to be upfront with you, there's something else you need to know about change, and it is not quite as pleasant. Here it is, change is hard. Change is hard. The kind of genuine, meaningful, lasting change in our lives that we've been talking about is really, really hard. Now, I understand that a lot of you get this, right? You really don't do. You know from firsthand experience in your life how hard it can be to not only make change in the challenging areas of your life, but then on top of that, to actually see those changes stick over the long run. You know, that can be anything, right? Uh, eating less fast food, sticking to a budget, praying more consistently, breaking your addiction to screens and devices, holding back your temper when things don't go your way, learning to trust God more with your future and trying not to be such a control freak, right? Whatever your thing is, you know that changes like this are hard. And yet even despite what we know to be true about our experiences that change is hard, a lot of us as Christians can get really messed up here because of some faulty beliefs about God and about ourselves. Now, there's many ways that happens, but here's the one I really want to camp on, right? Faulty belief. This belief that we as Christians, that, that we want to equate trying times with a lack of God's care and love and concern for us, right? We equate trying times that we go through with a lack of God's love, care, and concern for us. Right? In other words, that if God really loved us, then life wouldn't be so hard. Life wouldn't be so hard and change wouldn't be so difficult. And I bet there are some of you here right now who are going through that very thing in your life, that you are in the midst of this excruciating trial where it feels like God has abandoned you and everyone else has let you down. And you've never experienced the kind of heartache you're going through right now kind of worry, anxiety, uncertainty you're feeling that's just eating you up on the inside. And here's the other thing about trials. Trials uh, can not only be intense, but they can also be prolonged, right? We've been waiting for things to get better for quite some time now, and yet there's no end in sight. You know, by the way, I think that's the one that really gets me, right? I know we're all going to go through some hard seasons in life. I, I think I'll sign up for that, or maybe even spiritually dry seasons, but come on, God, why do they have to feel like they're going on forever? Where, where my patience is wearing thin, where my perseverance is running out. God, if you really cared, then you would fill in the blank. And deep down inside, we all have our answers to that question. God, if you really cared, then you would make it stop. God, you would fix my problem. God, you would meet my need. God, you would break my habit. God, you would change my desires. God, you would end my misery. But he doesn't, does he? Not all the time and certainly not right away. That's the truth, isn't it? But you know what's not true? Here's what's not true. It is not true that those trying times, those hard seasons we go through, those repeated cycles of us failing to change, right? those do not mean that God is cold, that God is uncaring, and that God is distant, right? No, quite the contrary. God's loving commitment to us, to our change, is just as strong now as when it was we first believed, even though it might not seem that way to us. As a matter of fact, God's willingness to let us go through trying times is proof that he has our best in mind. 
It's proof that he has our best in mind because even though we have been changed because of Jesus, we are changing still for the better. And God uses everything we go through, everything, especially the hard stuff, to grow us, to change us, to further conform us into his image. God cares for you. He really does. And so it takes the eyes of faith that we need to have to be able to see that in the deepest and darkest valleys of life. That's why this series is called Forging Change. Because there are certain things in our lives that God can only bring about through, get this, the heat of adversity and the hammer of trials. The heat of adversity and the hammer of trials where God forms us and molds us and shapes us into something more valuable, something useful for his kingdom. It's like I said last week, the process of forging change, it can be difficult, it can be intense, but the product of forging change is valuable, lasting, priceless. And so as unpleasant as it might be at times, this is the kind of work that God wants to do in you. So what exactly does it look like then? Well, we see this on display throughout the pages of Scripture. King Solomon, who in his day 3,000 years ago was the wisest man on earth, made this observation, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. He says this, "The, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, the Lord tests the heart. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Now, you know what a crucible is, right? And it's not that classic American play that most of us had to read through in high school, right? That crucible, no. A crucible is like a furnace, right? It is a container that withstands extremely high temperatures so that metals, you know, whether precious metals or otherwise, can be thrown in there and brought, melted down to a moldable state and also refined of their impurities. And so Solomon, in all his wisdom, in all his personal life experience, right, he knows that the ways that our our hearts are molded and refined and stripped of their impurities is through the crucible, is through the blast furnace of trials, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. He does. He does, and we see this exact same thing happen in this incredibly heart-wrenching story with Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, where, where Abraham, after decades of waiting for a son and finally having Isaac and watching him grow up, where Abraham is now asked by God, to kill Isaac with his own hands and offer him up as a sacrifice. Now, from our modern point of view, this makes no sense at all, and God seems so cruel, right? But Abraham, who has seen the faithfulness of the Lord in his life throughout, throughout you know, the, the decades, he obeys God, right? He ties up Isaac, lays him on an altar, and just as he's about to plunge a knife into his son, the angel of the Lord tells him to stop. Stop and says this to Abraham. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Wow. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And then in this act of foreshadowing of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, Abraham sees this ram nearby whose horns are caught in the thicket. And he offers this ram as a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord in Isaac's place. And as an act of worship, Abraham takes this moment, names this sacred spot, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. You know, it's one thing to say with our lips, we love God. It's another thing to show it with our lives, with our obedience, to to take God at his word and listen to this, to act in faith when we don't know what the outcome will be. To act in faith when we don't know when the outcome, you know, I think of the young woman who is in a serious dating relationship. One she knows isn't right for her, but she's afraid to end it because she fears the thought of being alone. I think of the couple who's up to their eyeballs in debt. They know they need to cut back on their spending. They need to make some serious financial decisions, but they're afraid of not having enough. I think of the guy with the anger issue 
the drinking problem, the pornography addiction, right? Who's thought about getting some help. Who's thought about seeing some counseling, right? But is afraid, being exposed, afraid of confronting who they are and thinking really about how they've hurt other people. And those are just some examples. Now, I don't know this for sure. I don't think God is ever going to put us in a situation quite as tense as Abraham was in, in Genesis 22, but he will put us in the crucible. He will throw us into the furnace of fiery trials. What? To grow our faith, to refine our hearts, to forge our character, and to change our lives. He will. The Apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, knew a little something about the school of trials during his lifetime. And later on, as a Christian leader, he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't view it that God doesn't love you, right? Don't interpret your difficult circumstances as God's indifference to what you're going through, or even worse, that God is some kind of sadistic pleasure that he takes in your pain. Listen, God doesn't take any pleasure in our pain, in our suffering, but he isn't also going to spare us from it if he can use it for our good. God, out of his infinite love and his far superior wisdom, he can take us through the tough times we go through, the fiery ordeals to heat us up and to hammer us out, to shape us, to conform us more and more into the image of his son. Now, Peter, you know, he was especially in tune with this idea of forged change in the Christian life. So it's not only what he went through personally as a follower of Jesus, including the three denials the night that Jesus was arrested, right? But later on, he's, he's leading other Christians. He's older now. He's experienced more life. And he, in turn, encourages other believers who went through their own sets of trials. And I love how how relevant, how applicable these words are to us today. And so at the beginning of 1 Peter, verse 3 of chapter 1, Peter writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You know, one of the reasons that God deserves all our praise is this, that the moment you become a Christian, the moment of your justification, when you experience spiritual birth, you are given these two wonderful gifts. You are given the gift of a living hope. You are given the gift of an everlasting inheritance. A living hope, an everlasting inheritance. And what does that inheritance look like? End of verse 4. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you kept in heaven for you, you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That for the Christian, the promise of our eternity with God in heaven is all its wonderful glories. That's ultimately where our lives are headed. That is the end of our trajectory. That is our living hope. This is our everlasting inheritance. And I wish I had the words to tell you how wonderful it's going to be. You know, that our best day on earth can't even begin to compare with our worst day in heaven, right? And so this is what we hold on to. This is where we're headed, but we're not there yet. Verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice. What's the this? The this is talking about the previous verses, the living hope, the everlasting inheritance. Though now, though now, what you're in right now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What a contrast. Here, here's Peter. He's like, it's going to be great. And every day you wake up, you, you should rejoice in what God has waiting for you. But you're not there yet, right? You're not there yet. As a matter of fact, in the meantime, you're probably going to suffer. How does Peter put it? Grief, heartache, misery, pain, and all kinds of trials, all kinds, that the God who loves you more than you can imagine, he's going to let you go through that. He is. Now, what you go through might not be the same thing your friend goes through, but if you're both followers of Jesus, suffering grief and all kinds of trials, it's going to be part of your journey on this earth until the day you die. So on the one hand, you've got unbelievably wonderful in the future, and then on the other hand, you've got incredibly hard in the present. But look what else you've got, verse 7. These have come 
So that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in the praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Again, here it is that God uses the trials that we endure to refine our faith and to forge genuine life change in our lives that is both for our good and for his glory. You know, I'm really struck by that one phrase there, right? Proven genuineness of your faith. Proven genuineness of your faith. Now, if you are a new believer in Christ, you need to know your faith is genuine. It really is, but it's just starting to get proven, right? And it's not all that it can be. And the same is true, quite frankly, with those of us who have followed Jesus for quite some time now. Yes, our faith is genuine too, but God is what? He is still heating us up. He's still hammering us out. He is still refining us. He's still removing those impurities from us that keep us from an even greater love for God and an even greater love for other people. And so as excruciatingly hard as it is to go through that, we need to trust God, our master blacksmith, right? That as he continues to use the hard stuff we go through to produce good stuff in us. And so as I begin to wind down today, I want to make this practical for you, right? So here's the question I want us to think about. How do you hold on when life gets hard? Trials is part of the forging change process, and God's not going to spare us from that. How do we hold on when life gets hard, right? When the heat gets hotter, when the hammer strikes harder, how do you hang in there and not give up? I want to share with you three practices that need to be part of our life. Three practices. And I chose the word practice very carefully because these are ongoing actions, not one-time steps, okay? Ongoing actions, not one-time steps. I know we live in a culture of shortcuts and quick fixes that promise three easy steps, then we'll be cured, we'll be clean, we'll be ripped, we'll be rich, we'll be slim, we'll be successful, whatever it is, right? But in life, real life, a life that will bring us trials, we need something more than that. And so if we're committed to pursuing genuine, meaningful, lasting change, here are three ongoing practices that are going to help us hold on when life gets hard. Here's the first. We need to cling to God's promises. Cling to God's promises. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this first one because this is essentially what we just saw in 1 Peter chapter 1. How does Peter encourage a group of Christians going through some pretty intense trials? Well, right out of the blocks, he reminds them of God's promises. That because of Jesus, we have a living hope. That because of Jesus, we have an everlasting inheritance. They're ours, they're true, they're real, and one day these promises will be fulfilled for us. Incredible, right? Cling to God's promises. So here's something you can do this week. Go to the Bible. Find one of God's promises that speaks to your present situation. If you don't know where to start, here are a few suggestions. 1 John 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God. And have overcome them, because here it is, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God is with you, he is for you, and he is in you through the power and the person of his Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 38, verse 39, for I am convinced that neither, and look at this long list, death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation, whatever you can think of, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. That is God's promise to you. Isaiah 43, verse 1, verse 2, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And I thought this was appropriate. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. In Hebrews 13, 5, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never. 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 And these promises just scratch the surface of what God commits to us as his beloved child in Jesus Christ. But this week, don't take a bunch. Just take one. Find one that you can take into your week. Write it down. Put it on your phone. 
read it every day, pray through it. Listen, what we usually need in the Christian life, it's not to learn something new, no, it's to return to something we know to be true. To return to something we know to be true. To be reminded that in the midst of all the chaos, we need to know up here, we need to know in here that God is for us, that God is with us, and that God is in control. He is, so cling, cling to God's promises. Here's the second. How do we hold on when life gets hard? We need to cooperate with God's purposes. Cooperate with God's purposes. That if God uses the trials we go through to forge genuine, meaningful, and lasting change in our lives, then we need to respond to God, not run from God. Respond to God, not run from God. See, just to be clear, let's be clear about something, okay? Trials in and of themselves aren't beneficial to our faith, okay? They're not. Trials aren't magical. They're miserable, okay? No, the magic lies in how we react to them. See, trials can either refine us or trials can ruin us. And so by the grace of God and the strength he provides, we need to cooperate with his purposes. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, you know, every time we face difficulties in life, we also encounter temptation. Temptation, and here is the temptation that we face in trials. The temptation to turn to an alternative solution other than God to solve our problem. The temptation to turn to an alternative solution other than God to solve our problem. So how do we try to solve the problem of loneliness? How do we try to solve the problem of stress? How do we try to solve the problem of marital difficulties? How do we try to solve the problem of a dissatisfied life, right? What or who do we turn to to make us feel better and to make all the pain go away? See, this is where things like addictions and affairs come from. Sharing gossip, shading the truth. Right? That whatever it is, trials bring temptations. And when those temptations come, we need to turn to God and trust in him more than ever before. That's why I love this verse so much. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. What? He will not let you be tempted right, in the midst of your beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I'm reading this passage, you know, those words jumped out, bear, endure. Boy, those sound like furnace words, don't they? And I just love how much this verse reflects real life, that the temptation to turn to someone or something other than God in the midst of our pain happens to all of us, right? It really does. We share that. It is common to mankind. As a matter of fact, temptation like that even happened to Jesus. So it doesn't mean you're being singled out. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. No, these are common to mankind. And you know what else is true to real life? God provides a way out when we're tempted, but he doesn't always provide an easy way out when we're tempted. Paul doesn't say an easy way out, even though we wish he did, right? No, think about everything we've talked about in this series so far, that if God always did provide an easy way out, then we'd never grow in our faith. We would never change. We'd never become better people. No, we'd stay stuck. We'd stay spiritually immature, right? It's like I said last week, God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so instead of providing an easy way out, what does God do? He provides a way out so that we can endure what we're going through, right? Where God is like this long-distance running coach who, who keeps on making things a little harder for us as we go further on in, in the faith, right? Because what is God trying to do? He's trying to build our strength. He's trying to grow our stamina. And so our job is to stick with the program. Our job is to trust the coach. Our job is to be willing to stay in the fire a little longer, even when it hurts. And so how do you hold on when life gets hard? You cling to God's promises. You cooperate with God's purposes. And then third, you connect with God's people. Connect with God's people. This is a big one. It really is that having strong relational connections with other Christians can often make the difference between why some people hang on and press ahead in the midst of their trials, while others give up and bail out. You see this happen when we go through tough, tough times. You know, um, 
Here's what trials do, right? Trials disorient us from the truth. They, they disorient us from the truth. The stress goes up. We, we become more anxious. And as a result, we begin to lose perspective, right? We're not seeing life clearly. We're not seeing God clearly. And even when we try to do all the right Christian things, nothing quite works, right? We don't feel like praying. Church is a bore. And trying to read the Bible feels like a chore. And so in those very moments when we find ourselves just, you know, spiritually spiraling downward, right, that's when we need the loving encouragement and sometimes strong exhortation of a fellow Christian to help us regain a right perspective. That's why we need church, by the way, right? It's why we need each other. I think of these wonderful words in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, verse 25. And as you read this, you know, this is what church is all about. Let us consider how we may spur, encourage, challenge in a good way one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, not staying home in our pajamas, not, you know, relaxing because, boy, we had a hard week and we need to chill on the weekends, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This is why we do church, right? This is why we gather. Because life is hard and because trials can be incredibly intense, encourage one another. You know, I hear people say things like this all the time. I don't need church to have a relationship with God. You ever heard that? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've thought, I don't need church to have a relationship with God. And you know what? You're right. You don't need church to have a relationship with God. But you know what? You do need church to have a better relationship with God. You do. A stronger relationship with God, a lasting relationship with God, a relationship that's going to withstand the fiery furnace of trials where you can come out even more refined on the other side. It's why it's important to show up here on a Sunday for worship. It's why it's important to take the time to invest in Christian friendships. That's why we as a church place such a high priority on community groups, these groups of 12 to 15 of us meeting regularly to mutually encourage one another in the Lord, to love one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another, to help one another bear the heavy burdens of life that we all have to carry at one time or another. See, whether you're at Hopel, Saginaw, or Hopel, Bay City, we're not just about gathering on Sunday, we're about connecting during the week. And I'd encourage you, if you're not involved in a group already, to go to the lobby after this service, talk to one of our volunteers about community groups, go on our website, click the connect tab and find out more about groups. Whatever you need to do, take a step in your life to connect further, deeper with God's people because that's what's gonna help you hang on when life gets hard. Well, as we close, one final verse I wanna leave you with. It comes from this very passage in Hebrews 10 that we looked at. It's just one verse before. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. One last word of encouragement. Here it is. Let us hold unswervingly, unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. Actually, I want us to say that together, okay? Might need to put that up in Bay City as well. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. He who we've been worshiping today is faithful. The Lord, our God, is faithful to us. Always don't ever forget it. And so as he uses the trials we go through in our lives to forge genuine, meaningful, lasting change, even when it's hard, even when it's hurt, let us hold on to the hope we have in him clinging to his promises, cooperating with his purposes, connecting with his people. Why? Because we always need to know and never forget that the Lord, our God, is faithful. He's faithful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it has been a joy today to worship you, our faithful God to be reminded in very deep and powerful ways through worship today, through your word, that you are with us always. And that even as we 
go through trials, through the valleys of tough times, you're with us. Doesn't mean you've abandoned us. Doesn't mean you don't care. Doesn't mean you're powerless to fix the situation. No, you're at work. You are always at work because you have our best in mind. You're refining us. You're growing us. You're purifying us from all the junk that gets cluttered up in our hearts. That can make us selfish and untrusting and control freaks and the rest. And so God, if you need to heat us up, if you need to hammer us out, we're open and we're willing. Lord, we pray, we join just as a church to pray for those here today who are in the thick of it. Who feel alone, who feel abandoned, who feel like their hope is, is running out. God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit to encourage their hearts, to strengthen their faith, to hold on to hope unswervingly, even when it's hard. Because you, God, you are faithful always. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the faithful one. Amen. Hey everybody, let's stand up before we go. You know, we're really struck about this whole idea of change, and there's a song we're going to sing that we sang last week called Transfiguration. And there's this line, and it says, I am changed and changing still. So as we continue to bump into the divine and consider the things of God in our lives, let's continue to be changed uh, and to be more like Him. Melody's going to lead us.
Praise the Lord is a song for all seasons. If you're on the mountaintop today, your song is hallelujah. If you're in the valley bottom today, your song is hallelujah. And if you're just on a normal flat stretch of the road right now, your song is still hallelujah. We look to him and worship. We follow him in faith. Next week, we'll wrap up our Forging Change series. We'll also share communion together as a church family. But as you go from here, may you go in the strength and the confidence of knowing that the Lord our God is faithful.